0: Well, good morning. Welcome to chapel at Southern Seminary and Voice College. It is great to be with you all. And today we have a a special chapel, as you can tell, uh, even the, the fact that we're meeting on Wednesday and starting with that video. This week, uh, we have been celebrating Heritage Week and celebrating 30 years uh, for Dr. moeller to serve here as president at Southern Seminary. And We're going to have a good conversation this morning. I've been looking forward to the conversation. But before we do that, I just want to provide you all as students, faculty, and staff just one other opportunity to let Dr. and Mrs. Muller know how grateful and how thankful you are for them. It's been a, it's been a special few days on the campus, but this morning we have a unique opportunity to hear from Dr. and Mrs. Mueller together as they reflect on these last 30 years serving here at Southern. And so I want to jump right in and just hear from both of you on this first question. Um, You began your presidency here in 1993, which is 30 years ago, but I want to go back even further. I want to go back to 1983, which I believe is the first year you began as a student. Is that correct?
1: No, I graduated in 83.
0: 83, okay, graduated in 83. I came in 80, yeah, thank came you. Came in 80, so 40 years ago, you were sitting in these pews in this chapel, okay? So the question is? I, I only sat in one pew at a time. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Sitting in a pew, there you go. <laughs> did, did you ever think, uh, 1980, 1981, two, three, did you ever think there's a chance you might be president? Of this institution one day i would love to hear you respond to that and then mrs moeller as well
1: never thought about it as a student uh, i greatly um uh, respected the job and uh i had the opportunity to get to know dr duke mccall who was president when i came and then roy honeycutt who was president uh by the time i graduated i got to know them very very well i i I came to see myself perhaps serving in some kind of capacity like that during the time I was doing doctoral study and, uh, just coming to understand, I think it's this urgency about theological educa- education, about the seminary, about the Southern Baptist convention, the evangelical world, it all kind of came together, but you know, there aren't that many jobs doing this. And so pursuing my PhD. I really thought, you know, I want to be of service and scholarship to the church, and I intended in all likelihood to be pastor in in fulfilling that role. Um, So I I will just say there are so few of these positions. It's not something that was primarily on my mind, but it became a focal calling when the opportunity
0: arose sense. Mrs. Muller, anything you would add there?
2: Yeah, so I came on the scene in 1983 when we moved into Fuller and then into Springdale, and I think he guarded me to some degree as to how bad things were here, and so I knew it was a bit of a train wreck, so it really wasn't something I thought would have been a great idea, actually, if it could have happened, but I worked for a surgeon downtown until two days before Katie was born, and he was a Protestant liberal, but very nice, generous, sweet man who came to know Al through my working for him, and They had great conversations together. And one day he looked at me and he said, he's just so smart. He's going to be president of that place someday. And it it took me by surprise because what I didn't tell him was like, well, I've never had that thought. (laughs) And it wasn't because I didn't think he would be up for whatever. (laughs) Let me finish. (laughs) It it wasn't because I didn't think he would be up for whatever. It was just because, like you just said, I thought we were heading into the pastorate. And so a mere six years later, when he's elected president, my former boss sends this very kind letter. And he had not forgotten that. And in the letter, he said, congratulations. And he said, you will remember that I predicted this. And he was right.
1: So the first person to, pre- to predict this was a liberal Presbyterian.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, Thank you both for answering that. You know, I I asked that question for a variety of reasons. One is, I think many of us would just say you serving in this role seems so natural. Uh, And so we've been able to see that and observe that now for many years. But I also, we're speaking to a room full of students who are early in their life, early in their ministry, and they're praying through, and they don't know what the future holds. And I think it's helpful to hear that you were in that same boat you're in that same situation where you didn't know exactly how the Lord was going to fill in those gaps, but it was a a call to ministry, a call to faithfulness and letting the Lord kind of fill in those details along the way.
1: Yeah. Can I make a comment about that? Because when uh, I was a seminary student with the controversy going on in the Southern Baptist convention, as conservatives began to gain ground, it was evident that there was this vortex of incredible need and so I think a lot of us, we didn't know where we were going to serve. And we could see ourselves going in many different directions at once. And I think of colleagues like your dad, who's been in several different places and before going as president of Southeastern. Uh, I mean, these are a lot of BBs rolling around you know, in a cardboard box very fast in real time. And a lot of us could have ended up a lot of different places. It's just by God's providence, I ended up here. And I believe I can trace at least a lot of visible evidence of that providence. So that gave me a sense of assurance.
0: I want to move from 1983 up towards 1993. So after being contacted, chosen as a candidate uh, to be president here at Southern, uh, I want to ask both of you was there ever a moment of doubt or hesitancy for either of you individually or as a family in other words did you ever wonder okay they've contacted me but but is this right is this good is this best
2: well again thankfully there was no internet in those days so there was not as much conjecture that was readily available as there would have been from my perspective, like I've got my dream job. I'm a stay at home mom. I've got a son and a daughter who are living in suburban Atlanta. I've got my household set up. We've only been here three years. And then this possibility comes up and it's, it's like, you know, it's a long shot because of his age, because of his age. We hear that over and over again. And again, I have no doubt in his capabilities, but when it comes down to the final three, like we know these other two men, they are godly and qualified and gifted. And so it just became a matter of, Trying to just continue raising preschoolers and realizing this is a long process, um, and not to get your hopes up, but also just that there, it, would, it was going to change our lives radically for sure. But you know, we just sought the Lord's will in it and took it step by step.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, I'm trying to think. You know, what do I do to my sweet wife? And obviously, the kids are not very conscious at, of these things. That the, you know, they were preschoolers. But I'm thinking, you know, how, much, how much do we do this? What is also behind this is the fact I mentioned all those BBs rolling around in a box. In the months, months previous to the search committee contacting me here, uh, I had been asked to consider being dean of the School of Theology here when that was a negotiated position between the faculty and the trustees. So some people want to say, well, how did the trustees get to know you? Part of it is, I was editor of the Christian Index and had been assistant to the president here. The other answer is, the trustee leadership wanted me to be dean in 1992 and the faculty blocked it. Okay, that's kind of a crucial pre-skirmish here. And it's sort of like a year later, he's back and he's not dean.
2: And he's older, he's 32 now.
1: He's a year older and he's president. And uh, uh, I mean, I had a delegation of faculty fly to Atlanta to tell me I was unacceptable as dean. And you know, they won that. Lasted about 10 months. That, that victory but I mean all that's on there so do I put my family through that trauma and then the presidential search at Southeastern Seminary had gone on this is you know before the Aiken era by a decade or more and uh, I, I, I went through that process I felt a sense of responsibility to do it I mean I am a son of this institution but you know as I say when duty calls I was ready to consider that and uh it was very obvious at the time that there was another candidate who was was going to move into that position and i was i was okay with that uh we did not know that this presidency was going to come open when it did it shocked everyone and in retrospect you see god's providence which is usually the way i think we live we trust god's providence in advance but we can trace it only uh, in retrospect
0: you just mentioned something that I want us to get to next, and that is around your, your um, election as president, uh, surrounded by significant controversy, opposition. Mrs. Mueller, you talked about there being no Twitter in those days, social media, so that maybe was a little bit subdued, but in another sense, it wasn't. So I would love to hear both of you speak a little bit to the, the setting, the environment around your election on this campus, in the city of Louisville, maybe across the Southern Baptist Convention? What's the conversation? What's the environment? What's the setting? What's going on when those things are happening?
2: So we first get here, and I mean, they have to make us feel welcome because we're here and there's nothing that they can do about it. So the staff is, you know, smiling, but you can tell behind those smiles that this is, this is awkward and it's strained. And, and so I have memories of things like um, they secured some babysitters for us because I had to be over here for some events. We had to meet all these different groups on campus, and and then we'd come to find out later that some of those babysitters were the ones that were in, being quoted in the press and were part of the sit-ins. And it's like, we'll be choosing our own sitters from now on once we find some friendly people that we can You're trust. You're
1: indoctrinating our babies yeah. in the moderate <laughs> theological way.
2: And then just somewhat around town, we just kind of learned restaurants to avoid. There were just certain places, especially in the highlands, that were just very... You could cut the air with a knife when we would come in, and it was just super awkward. And I, it is still
1: that way in that neighborhood.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I started worrying that our Diet Cokes could be poisoned or something. Like, we're just, we're just not, we'll go elsewhere. Um, but when, when I was up, out and about with the kids, you know, it was, it was different because I'm under the radar. My picture's not plastered on the front of the paper and on the news, thankfully. And so it would catch me by surprise. So one particular time, I went to pick up some photographs, and those of you boys, college kids, like we used to do this thing with cameras, and we'd take pictures, <laughs> and, and you have to take the film in and have it developed, so I'm picking them up, no big deal, right, and so I'm next in line, and I say, he has pictures for molar, and the, and the clerk just stops, and she just stares at me, and she says, molar, and I said, yes, M-O-H-L-E-R, and she said, as in Southern Seminary Moeller, Well, now I'm super defensive. And I said, yes, Albert Moller. he's my husband. And not another word was spoken. She got my pictures. I paid her. She shoved the photos across the counter at me. Wow. And it was just one of those moments where, like, you, you never know what people are thinking here, there, wherever. Um, the worst thing probably just over time, this is not at the beginning, but over time, were the funerals that we attended. Mm. And so he's president of the institution these people who've served here for decades are obviously going to go on and die and we are going to go because he's going to do the right thing always a statesman and so I'm thinking well I'll go to that with him and represent the school and all of this and if we're sitting there like they're not gonna kick dirt in our faces like we're sitting right there I was so naive and so wrong and it was one of the most painful parts of, the, of my role because they didn't care that we were sitting there. And in fact, that may have kind of thrown fire, you know, thrown, made it even worse. But just the things that they would say with us there, the hateful things, the open mics, it went on forever. Um, you know, talking about the good old days with the real Southern Seminary and just all of that. Um, and that, that continued. The worst one was probably about three years ago. Do you agree? so there's that and then there's another whole side of controversy because these are like mad liberals but then there's this other side of just evil horrible people out there who are not liking what he's saying even way back then larry king has taken a liking to him because he will take a stand and he will be on this radical side that's going to speak biblical truth in the culture wars where we don't have lgbtq plus whatever we've just got like gay rights right now so he goes on those shows over and over again and we've got at least some people here now that are happ- happily watching that with me. and But then the seminary switchboard starts getting death threats. Mm-hmm. And those are taken seriously, obviously. So we're able to keep the kids from that because it's like what was his office at the time was soon to be your father's office when he moved upstairs. It's now your office has bulletproof glass on it for that reason. And then on the weekends it was determined, because he could be protected over here, but on the weekends... We had off-duty Jefferson County sheriffs sitting in the driveway in their cars, and so the kids are getting older, but are still naive enough to be like, "Cause we're not going to be imprisoned in, in our own home, so we're out playing in the yard and kind of get to know some of those guys that are in their cool police car." And you know, they they didn't equate that with a threat at all, which was great. But lastly, um, one Christmas Eve, we were we'd been to church, we'd been to dinner. Everybody's happy. It's Christmas Eve, and it's a rare occasion because there's enough snow to cover the ground in Louisville on Christmas Eve. And we're pulling off of Lexington Road into the driveway, and someone has written horrible language, threatening language in the snow. And the kids were old enough at that point to understand what was happening. And I was grateful at that point because it wasn't happening as often, and if they had been older during all of those horrible times it would have been so much more painful to watch them suffer even as I had to watch him suffer. So it was a time.
0: Yeah. So, so I asked that, you know, because I think for this student body to be able to hear, this is a very different day here at Southern Seminary, right? And so would love to hear you explain some more of that just so we have the context.
1: Thank you. It's a very different day. Uh, Part of it was a community around and part of it was you know, we still bear responsibility to the people who are here, as Mary said, including some who, uh, his funerals, I my, the, one of the hardest things for me because they come at me. That's one thing. They come at my wife. That's another thing. And we'd have to leave, I think at one funeral out in Hikes Point where we got back in the car and Mary, and this would happen more than once, but just dissolve into tears. She's so strong. She'd hold herself together until we got in the car and it was just like, okay, what, what do I do as a husband? I cannot shield her from this. But I want to say as a tribute to Mary, it just increased her resolve. You know, she's back and she's mad. And, you know, (laughs)
2: just Just like my photographs, give me my
1: photographs. (laughs) Yeah. She got, she got really clear. Um, the worst I was present and Mary was not because it was under the most unusual circumstances and there ended up being two funerals. Okay. And the first funeral and I'm there and Mary's not, um, the eulogist, and I'm, I, there aren't that many people because there was a record snow. That's the problem it was a record snow. They couldn't even go out to the, it was just a situation in which it was locked down, but people were here. So they said, okay, we'll have a funeral with the people who are here. We we'll have to have another funeral later. And, uh, so, the main eulogist was someone i knew well who resigned when i was elected honest i had had him as a professor the metaphor he used and again this is a small chapel in the snow i'm just sitting alone and the metaphor he used was fontaine's song um from uh lamers thank you is. And the tiger comes at night. And they start describing the tiger. And then people start looking at me and I go, good Lord, I'm the tiger. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the destroyer of the dream. I'm the, I'm, I'm the one who came and ate the dream in the night. And I'm thinking, you know, I am really glad if there's one of these, Mary, because it was, it was also, I think, two days before Christmas. And I mean, everything just, like, you know, Mary's not there. And just thinking, well, if she has to miss one, let it be this one. And uh, the tiger will slink home, but I mean, it was just—it's it, this. It still is this in certain circles. So I mean, this is this is the part that people say, "Well, that's all over." It's—it's it's not over. Um, I think Mary kind of defensively has a list of things likely to come. <laughs> She's a planner. And, uh, you know, we, this is going to happen. And, this is, and you know, our job, honestly, I mean this sincerely, and I want to say this in ministry. In, in ministry, we're often called to do very uncomfortable things to represent the church, to represent the pulpit, to represent Christ, and, and to represent a seminary. And we just have to let the things fall where they fall. Learn from it. And then come back and do the right thing
0: so when you both look back on those those first several years a very difficult very challenging years what gave you hope um, any moments you can point to that provided a sense of encouragement that hey things are going to be okay things are moving in the right direction even in the midst of hardship and opposition
2: I mean, it took some time, but there were some glimmers, and so they stick out in my mind. There was one particular—I think I put this in the magazine article—one uh, particular event when we were out here with our, you know, our preschoolers. So Chris was in a stroller, and we're out there, and people are, you know, avoiding us like the plague as much as they can. But this, these two, two small families came up. I think they had older kids, a little bit older kids, and they walked up, and they were—it was—they were darting their eyes everywhere. It was so bizarre, and they said, "We're glad that you're here." Mm-hmm support what you're doing and i'm like well that is great but could you say it out loud please like what in the world get some courage here um but but their tribe increased and as more came they weren't afraid to say it and uh, then we got people like jimmy scroggins who some of you heard last night who is one of our earliest students and so the green berets arrived and 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 you could see that there was (laughs) there was a crack and that that the light was coming
1: no, I think it's exactly right. We we had students who were drawn to what was happening here because they loved the gospel, they loved Christ, and you know, to them this is sort of like the 16th century. We're, we're going to go to Wittenberg. We're we're going to do this thing, and they would show up, and, uh, and and they they were happy. So again, Mary mentioned Jimmy. Several of these students, I can think of you know a, a dozen of them I could mention, where they were just determined to represent evangelical conviction from the seat in the classroom and to do so winsomely and they were joy they, they were happy warriors but they were both happy and warriors and um, that was a that was a big thing the other thing i just got to tell you this excuse me but at the, i don't i'm mary may be nervous i mentioned this but yeah i know i know but uh there were some hilarious undercurrents in the Mississippi. The Lord uses hilarious undercurrents that, I mean, they're just, they just are. So we had an influx of students from Eastern Europe after the fall of the Soviet Union. So they were quite used to being a part of a persecuted church. And it was, I say it's hilarious now, at the time it was both serious and but but I'd be walking down the hall and someone would go, they're meeting who are they liberal students what are they doing (laughs) they're planning a coup (laughs) well I don't think you're going to get very far with this but it just I understand a whole new way. you know. It's like we got the Securitate and we uh, got the persecuted church coming up, they're meeting. Okay. Well, it was kind of helpful. It was intended to be helpful, but it was just one of those things I'm thinking, you know, maybe this is more dangerous than I thought it was. <laughs> <You know? laughs>
2: So by the time the death threat started rolling in, we did have some students here that he could call into service because it was also determined he couldn't go to speaking engagements alone, and he didn't have interns and, and staff. And so Sean and Bubba were two great big guys that would go students. with him. Students.
1: Yeah, students. Yes.
2: And he doesn't go by Bubba anymore, but Jason was here in chapel yesterday. He's about to become a grandfather. So if that doesn't make us feel old.
1: No, it, it's really sweet. I, I, I will tell you, I, I was uh, asked to come to speak at Indiana University on, uh, the LGBTQ challenge and, uh, the afternoon when I was leaving, and this is an official event in, in, um, one of their big buildings and, uh, security from IU called and said, we just want to tell you that we're expecting trouble and we do not have adequate security. <laughs> okay. So what then what do you suggest? They said, we suggest you bring your own security. Well, at that time it was the two biggest students I could find. <laughs> and uh, it was Sean and Bubba. And, uh, and look, they are, they are Sean Merrithew, a pastor in Montgomery, Alabama, wonderful, faithful kids at boys. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and, and, uh, uh, Bubba better known now as Jason, but always Bubba to me. <laughs> uh, and I had the honor of marrying, him and his wife. And uh, like I say, they're just getting ready to have grandchild. You look and see the Lord is just so faithful. But if I get in trouble like that again, I'm calling Jason and Bubba. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Jason and Sean,
0: excuse me. It's, it's well documented that you were 33 when you were elected as president. It's Um, well
1: documented that I'm not now.
0: Without a doubt, your age was a common topic of conversation. You had a good relationship with the two previous presidents. Um, When you reflect back, any advice, any wisdom that they shared with you that you have now, looking back 30 years, have said, that was really helpful. I'm really glad they shared that or told that to me.
1: I had a very good relationship with Dr. Duke McCall. I had heard him preach when I was a boy. And a part of God's providence in my life, I was genetically made for this institution. My boyhood pastor had his PhD from Southern, supervised by A.T. Robertson. Um, I, I grew up in a Southern seminary context although it was in a tall steeple southern baptist church in central florida duke mccall preached at the church when i was a boy and i mean when you're a boy you don't meet many dukes they stand out one seminary president colleague of duke mccall said he thanked the lord every day his father didn't name him king he was a very strong leader very strong leader as duke Um, and I honor him. He was very, 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 um, much the symbol of a statesman leader in the Southern Baptist convention. I learned so much from him. Um, and, and he invested in me. I was just a seminary student, but his, one of his best friends, close friends was uh, my pastor as I was a boy. And so it was just, just very much osmosis. I'm just watching him. And, uh, then Dr. Honeycutt followed him. Dr. Honeycutt was historically uh, the faculty's choice. The, Dr. McCall was not the faculty's choice. He was the trustee's choice and the trustee's determination. You know, it was a 30-year presidency. They, uh, the faculty was actually moving left and wanted a president who was more representative of what they, where they wanted to go. Uh, they saw Dr. McCall as far too conservative. Uh, as a president, uh, I worked for Dr. Honeycutt. And what I want to say is he was a man of, of deep personal integrity, Southern, um, gentlemanliness and, uh, and true commitment to Southern seminary. He was committed to Southern seminary moving in a very different direction than I would have wanted to see it go. And so you could say, well, then how can you say he had a great commitment to Southern Seminary? Well, it's because, first of all, he thought that way was right. I don't have any any question about that. But secondly, when it came to the transition that was going to happen, Dr. Honeycutt was, he did not do what some some of the faculty wanted to convince the majority of trustees, then moderate, to try to pull... Southern Seminary out of the Southern Baptist Convention as an independent institution. And their argument was it was not started by the SBC. It had an independent charter from 1859. So we'll just pull it out of the SBC so the SBC can't elect trustees and the conservative resurgence can't touch Southern. Uh, One of the greatest acts of statesmanship of Roy Hunnicutt was saying, this is the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. It is, it belongs to Southern Baptists and he unilaterally blocked the effort to try to take Southern Seminary out of the SBC and and this institution needs to recognize that very important act of stewardship on behalf of the SBC. So, uh, you know, I think most people would say, I probably learned more operationally from Dr. McCall, uh, from Dr. Honeycutt, um, just An understanding of the office as a stewardship and I hope I've learned the right lessons from that and and you know it it, God's very sweet to southern seminary in a way that uh, his kindness to southern has not been replicated anywhere else in the SBC this way so forgive me I'm over answering the question you asked but I want students to know this so The the seminary went in 1993, as the Southern Baptist Convention had been going, in a direction that neither Dr. Honeycutt nor Dr. McCall would support. Dr. McCall was a moderate candidate for president against the conservative candidate at one point, the heat of the SBC controversy. But both of them were deeply committed to Southern Seminary. Dr. McCall so committed to Southern Seminary, and to me, that when Mary so wonderfully put this book together you will find the the letter from Duke McCall when I was chosen when when we got back to Atlanta from the interview and and then they'd offered me the nomination here the first phone call I mean we barely got in the house we got like a baby in each arm uh each of us the phone's ringing the uh, the man on the other end of the phone was Duke McCall and with a quivering emotional voice he said you have my full support you will take southern seminary where i would not take her but i have confidence in you that you will take her home safely and it's hard for me to talk about that i mean that's statesmanship and dr mccall stood by this institution during the controversy And amazingly enough, stood in 2009 in this pulpit and affirmed the inerrancy of Scripture. And his family left, with Dr. McCall's blessing, more than a million-dollar gift to this institution. Okay, so that hasn't happened anywhere else in the SPC. That's just God's grace. We still have very gracious contact with the family. And then in God's grace, Mary could tell the story better. But her sweet mother, who died last year, you know, she really does need to tell the story. It hasn't happened anywhere else like this.
2: Okay, I'll be quick, Mrs. McCall was deceased before I got here and never met her. Uh, Mrs. Honeycutt was beloved on this campus. She was clearly an empty nester with adult children and she was very, students knew her and she didn't get into controversial stuff but she was just sweet and friendly and fun. And so when the full board met in Atlanta to elect him president, they, the entire board of trustees met in atlanta out of out of the
1: could state not meet in louisville
2: could not meet here and so you know we're there i give my testimony that's about all i do uh in terms of this is all about questioning him and grilling him and all of that and so there's one question that comes to me and the question is how do you plan to fill june Honeycutt's shoes and and it, it, I wasn't expecting that at all, and I think I probably stumbled through it, but I remember what, what what I was trying to get across was Mrs. Honeycutt is wonderful. She's a friend to me. I'm not going to try to fill Mrs. Honeycutt's shoes. It's, it's a full-time job for me to try to fill my own shoes and to try to be the woman that the Lord has created me to be, so I will take on this role in a different way than she has. I've got preschoolers, etc., but, I mean, that was, that was a wake-up call. Um, but, but as we did get to spend time with the Honeycuts and then fast-forward to her life as a widow, she, um, she became a friend of my mother. She, she befriended my mother, who was also a widow at that point. They ended up living in the same facility just about a mile from here. Um, and so she was there when my mom passed away and was just one of the sweetest friends. And she turned 94 this past month, and she's still going strong. God love her. That's sweet. That's
0: sweet. That's sweet.
1: that's God's graciousness and I I just want to say we thank the Lord for that because our sister institutions largely just have a complete disjunction I'm thankful that's not the case here
2: I also if I could just want to address as the the light was dawning and things were getting brighter we did have a, a very small group of friends here with us it grew exponentially but at the beginning we had we had friends who were here who had our backs you know, it was a very small group. We also had trustees who were so very supportive. But most of them lived out of state, and they would go home. And so that was that was difficult. We had friends from outside of Louisville who would call and kind of check in. One particular time, a friend of his called when he was out of town. He was just trying to get the backstory. story. So some kind of new bomb had gone off here lately. And he said, how's he doing? And and, and and then he just starts thinking out loud. And he says, well, you know, Mary, it's possible that, you know, the trustees could just see that he gets so bloodied in this battle because he's got to do so much work before he can rebuild. He's got to make so many changes. It's possible he gets so bloodied in this battle that he's like the hatchet man. And, and they then have to turn to somebody else to do that. For the, I mean, and why he's telling me this, I don't know. He's supposed to call to encourage me. That thought had never crossed my mind. It was very depressing to me that like, oh, please, Lord, we do not go through all this. And then they broom him on to be like, thank you. Your job is done here. Um, so thankfully that didn't happen. But then we also had started having some donors come on board, some of whom are in this room, who when he was out doing so many different things, he's also trying to fundraise because we've lost our donor base. Um, and so, so some of these donors are coming on board, and one of them made the poignant statement, I believe he's here this morning, that he said, we've got grandchildren now, we are new grandparents. And we want those grandchildren to grow up in churches where the word of God is preached from the pulpit. And we need a seminary to, treat, to, to train those men to do that. And that's why we're on board. And they've been on board with us ever since. And, and the sweet people in this room like them who have had our back, supported us, known when to call at just the right time, uh, have been priceless. And then lastly... It took us a little while to determine a church to join because there were a few churches i think were afraid we might join and they didn't really think they wanted that to happen
1: we were asked not to join certain churches
2: but we joined highview baptist church which was one location at fagan bush it was forever from here it did not have seminary students going there it didn't have faculty there but they'd read the courier journal and they knew how beaten up he was getting and they welcomed us and they loved us and they loved our kids and we still have very sweet relationships And and we love our High View family. There was one other church, and it was one we couldn't join. That's Southeast Christian Church, where your in-laws are faithful members. And they didn't know anything about Southern Baptist life, but they too were reading the newspapers and had a a giant, still has a giant influence here, and Bob Russell and many other friends there, they just just came around us, and they just loved us, um, even though they weren't a part of the controversy. So that was a big bolster.
1: Yeah, Bob Russell and I were invited invited was the word the other party used to appear before the editorial board of the Courier Journal to represent conservative Christianity. And uh, that was back when the Courier Journal, this is pre-internet, it is one of the 15 most powerful newspapers in the United States. And uh, it was horrifying, it was, it was absolutely horrifying. The paper was so much more liberal at that editorial board level. And so they basically told me and told Bob Russell, we were unacceptable, as in, you gotta stop this. This is, you know, all the language about harm and invisibility and all that, it was, it was, this was the first time I heard some of this it got very very bad and so you know I will tell you I learned what Bob Russell was made out of in that session and uh, I think he learned what I was made of in that session and so I would say I just want to echo what Mary said Uh, at that point uh, we had a friendship deeply forged by being fed together to the lions and uh, he's been stalwart as a friend you know the whole time and there there have been some christian uh pastors you know s- some of whom now gone to be with the lord you know in this town and in kentucky uh who who really stood with us and you know we, we could tell many stories there but this is one weird city when it came to some of the things that were happening because the churches around the seminary were so overwhelmingly liberal You know, we had two students meet, new students, young men. They met at orientation as students. They both were single at the time. So they thought, well, let's just go check out some of the churches. So they said they'd do so together. They went to a church very close by, very, very, very close by. (laughs) And when they walked in, they were asked if they wanted a singles class or a couples class. You know, that's a clarifying moment right there. And so I said, what happened? And they said, we we just left. Didn't answer the question. You know, they were so flabbergasted, but they both said, we kind of understand everything you're up against now, you know, this, this church. And so, yeah, I mean, all this became very clarifying. But, you know, we could we would divide Kroger, Mary especially, because she was there a lot more than I was. I mean, yeah. I mean, people just just knew who we were, and like you know, it was like the parting of the Red Sea. Even in some you know stores and shops in the area, my dear wife was strong enough to uh, to handle that. But I mean, even not too long ago, you're looking up from the meat case at Kroger and you saw somebody. <laughs> well, well, we'll have to former faculty member. Yeah. So it's like, hi, great price on pork chops.
0: (laughs) Uh, I'm a a big fan of fill in the blank questions. Doesn't look like you are maybe, I guess. but. um.
1: I I, I did not mean to
0: send that signal. I'm just (laughs) drawing a blank. Well, uh, first fill in the blank. Your favorite Aiken provost is? Just, just my kidding. current one. <laughs> okay, there we go. Um, a favorite memory over the last thirty years is could be silly, could be more serious. Something that immediately comes to mind. I,
2: I want to tell the quick story. I'll try to make it quick of the weirdest thing that ever happened while living in 2800. And there are lots of stories. We had two fires that were there that were set by people working on the house supposedly doing improvements. Um, Or that's
1: what they said.
2: (laughs) So I'm preparing for the first dinner I would ever host as president's wife. And the doorbell rings, rapid ringing. And I go to the door and there's a Louisville Metro police officer standing there telling me that I'm I'm pushing the panic alarm. And I said, sir, I promise you, I'm not pushing any panic alarm or keypad or anything. Now they had given me these I, I call them I've fallen but I can't get up pendant things to wear between the garage and the house because they're trying to cover every base so those are in a drawer and I'm touching them so about a month later I'm in the kitchen again it's 10 o'clock at night he's on the phone dealing with some crisis downstairs on the phone I'm chopping onions his parents are coming into town for their first visit so I'm trying to do a lot of stuff in advance so I'm chopping up onions my mind's in a hundred different places I'm not doing them under the water, so it's unwise, but I'm, I've got mascara all over my face for that reason. And from the hap- onions. Yeah, and it happens again with the doorbell, and it's 10 o'clock at night, and so th- I'm chapped now, and I'm all, it's a little walk from the kitchen to the front door, but the whole way I am rehearsing what I'm going to say to this police officer, like, I am not touching the panic button. Well, my breath is taken away because when I get close enough to the door, there are blue lights all the way out to Lexington Road. There's, like, 15 police cars in the driveway the Louisville SWAT team is on the porch and their guns are drawn. Now, unfortunately, in my haste to get to the door, I forgot about the mascara and I didn't leave the knife in the kitchen. (laughs) So they're there with their guns drawn. I'm looking like I'm the perp, maybe. I don't know. Meanwhile, they've surrounded the house, and we didn't have the fine security staff we have now, campus police. And I don't know if he thought Barney was making his rounds at 10 or what, but he just kind of waves at the, whoever's back there. And I have to eventually convince them, excuse me. Well, they first of all made me come under the porch to prove I was not under direct.
1: Put the knife down, lady.
2: Yeah. And I go to the top of the stairs, and I said, Honey, would you please come up here? The SWAT team is here. And you just, whoever you were talking to like, I got to go. The SWAT team's here. Um... <laughs> We got rid of those panic buttons. It turns out that truckers on I-64 were using an Ill- illegal frequency and triggering them, but that's probably my weirdest
1: memory.
0: <laughs> Tough to top this that is. I,
1: I'm, I'm going to tell something else more significant, but I will tell you that I remember having to hang up on two trustee chairmen because of urgencies. The first one was the one Mary said and the SWAT teams outside second one was just a few months ago with Josh Powell our current chairman talked with him on the phone we're at our lake house Mary who is so calm and collected she's so strong she doesn't make exaggerated noises but she made a noise
2: knowing you are on the phone with our trustee chairman
1: I hear a scream so I think Josh Powell heard the scream and I just hung up and went out and Mary had fixed a wonderful dinner out on our back porch and it was being enjoyed by a mother and her two baby raccoons. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> so,
2: Which the grandkids didn't know until this point, so now they know.
1: Well, there you go. And uh, so there were three raccoons and they were not in haste to leave. They were enjoying this meal. And so anyway, I did this. So now, you know, and Mary was not pleased. Okay. So we just got to figure all this out. And so I had to go call the chairman and say, it was just raccoons eating dinner. You know, <laughs> don't, don't worry. <laughs> no no incipient threat. The weirdest moment, and, and, and I, I think historically, one of the greatest moments of my life, just for fun. And this institution has had the most remarkable people involved in its life. I mean, Titanic, world changing people. And uh, when I was elected, we had an executive committee that uh, met uh, and uh, met with the new trustees. So we have new trustees meeting and, you know, with creditors and all, you gotta go through the new trustee orientation. So this is my very first. So we have like four new trustees and then we have the executive committee, the board and Mary serving a formal dinner And it's got the executive committee and like four new trustees. Okay, one of the four new trustees, somehow the conversation, very friendly, very friendly. You know, all these men sitting around the table at that point, they were all men, except for Mary. And uh, Richard Nixon comes up as a topic of conversation. And one of the new trustees says, you know, I think he was insane By the time he resigned from office, this other trustee, more seasoned on the executive committee said, that's not true. Okay, this guy looked a little startled and kept going. He said, well, I just read a book. And he said, and and you know, about how the resignation letter came together and all this. And he goes on talking about what he had read from this book. And this guy says, not the way it happened this is not deter this guy at all he says i just read this book and it's getting hotter and i can see other members of the executive committee tensing up and finally this guy says who are you to tell me i'm wrong he said i'm harry dent i was white house counsel i wrote the resignation letter <laughs> <laughs> he said that is not the way it went down and yeah you know, it's really hard when you're president of the institution, your wife's at the end of the table, you have to host a conversation. How exactly do you say, well, what else should we talk about? You know, I mean, <laughs> one of those moments when the whole oxygen left the room, you went, though how about dessert? <laughs> Cheap price on
0: pork chops, right?
1: Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's just one of those things. So okay, Can next.
2: I fill in the blank with a few happy moments? I gave my zany. So happy moments... 30 years ago,
1: almost to the day.
2: Krista was too young to be here for the ceremony, but Katie was not. So we got to parade up here in our matching dresses, and she got to kiss her dad. And we were presented flowers, and that was a phenomenal moment. And then almost exactly 20 years later, Katie and Riley stood on the same platform and celebrated their marriage in this room. We have so many profoundly happy memories in this room. Both of our kids graduated from high school took place here. Christopher graduated from Boys College in this room. Um, And then to graduations in general, it took us a long time. Most of you know that story to get through one. I dreaded them for a long time, which was really sad because it was like, what kind of antics will they do this time to embarrass us all? But that's such a faded memory now. And graduation is now such a joyful occasion as we see these students launch and, and we've come to know and love them. But for a while, every time there'd be a little twinge just that I wouldn't express to be like, so many of them are leaving. You know, what's going to happen in the fall? But then back here in this room, opening convocation, every single year the Lord has been so faithful and the room is filled again and we've got fresh faces and new eager students who are here who followed their calling, who are excited about studying with this faculty
0: and it's been true joy ever since. It's a great word. Final question. Uh, I would love to hear from both of you. When you consider the future... You made it very clear in the video, you're you're not done. There's still work to, to be done. When you consider the future, what's your continued hope and prayer for Southern Seminary Boys College in the days ahead?
1: Continued faithfulness, understanding that the challenges of the next few years are likely to be something of a quantum of the challenges we know now. And so I believe the Lord's faithful to bring just the right faculty and just the right God called ministers and students to this campus, and uh, we pray to be found faithful. And Because I don't know exactly what we're going to face. I mean, if you'd come back 30 years ago and said, how are you going to respond to the LGBTQ crisis with a plus sign at the end? I would have said, I, I do not recognize the formula. I think that's where we are on some issues we're going to face in fairly short order. So, I you know, I, I really I believe the Lord is faithful to His church. I believe that that this church is capable of an obedience and a faithfulness to which it's called by the power of the spirit and the ministry of the word. So I'm, 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 not, I'm not depressed. I'm, I'm optimistic. No, that's not true. I, I keep telling people it's not, not a good Christian word. I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful because our hope's in Christ. And you know, all the liberal schools are dying partly because there's neither gospel nor joy. And, uh, you know, so many conservative schools are joyous and populated. My dear friend Ligan Duncan here, Reformed Theological Seminary, dear friend for practically all my adult life, you know, we're, we're reminded we are not alone in this task. And so if we can keep turning out the seminaries of the SBC, Faithful evangelical schools, we can keep turning out preachers of the word. You know what? I'll do this even when it's illegal.
0: Let's thank Dr. and Mrs. Moeller.
1: Thank you. Hey, can I, I didn't know it was like- So, just before we close, I appreciate just a moment of personal privilege. Uh, Nothing makes us happier than looking out and seeing Christopher, Katie, Riley, Benjamin, Henry, and Margaret, whose hair bow is showing over the pew. The Lord blesses us all in ways we just couldn't imagine. And I want to thank you for being the kind of people, the school, this faculty, these students, that have brought out such faithfulness on display for our family and I want to thank our family your mother and I love you grandmother and I and uh you're a very much a part of loving us to do this job and I couldn't be more thankful and people have often said to me you were made for this well, I think of God's calling this the way it works But what you saw this morning is, my goodness, she was made for this. And I couldn't have survived this without her. Thank you.
0: I'm going to close us in a word of prayer, but just want to make note, one quick announcement. Uh, Following this uh, chapel service, uh, to to mark the occasion, there's going to be a reception in the McCall Pavilion. Uh, There'll be a gift for students and there'll be cake. So make sure after you leave chapel, you make your way over to the McCall Pavilion for a reception. Let me close us in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we humbly come before you this morning with a heart of gratitude and thanksgiving. Thank you for Dr. and Mrs. Moeller. Thank you for their example of faithfulness for now over 30 years. And we thank you that as they shared up here a moment ago in the good times and in the tough times that they have, by the power of your spirit, they've remained committed and devoted to you. We rejoice today in their ministry and their service here We rejoice in the countless number of pastors and missionaries and seminary wives and church leaders here and around the world that have been impacted by their ministry and their leadership. We praise you and thank you for the favor and blessing that you have shown to them. And we look forward to the days and years ahead and ask that you would continue to bless the molars as they labor here at Southern Seminary and Boys College. We pray for continued favor, for good health, for continued influence. And we pray all of these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. You're dismissed.